Hey everybody, my name's uh, Kent Woodrow. I'm the next generation and associate pastor here at Holy Cross. If you haven't met me, uh, I'd love to talk to you after service at some point. Uh, for those of you who are regulars here at Holy Cross, yeah, at this point you've heard the news that Pastor Brian is ending his time with us next week. Um, so that means this next Advent season, uh, you'll be getting a lot of me. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I really enjoy you guys. And uh, that also means I just, I just want to send Brian off well next week. You know, he's, he's been faithful to our congregation. He's brought us the word of the Lord. And so uh, we're going to have a little reception for him after service and a card in the back. And as you guys think about it this week, um, uh, write him a note of appreciation. Uh, just, just tell him thank you. Thank you for being our interim pastor and, and for keeping Holy Cross headed in the direction that we're headed in, right? So I just want to keep that on your radar. And... Uh, and, and prep you also for Advent. Uh, because Advent is a season of yearning, isn't it? And we'll talk a lot more about this in the upcoming weeks. But I think we're in a season of yearning. And so we'll talk as, uh, over the next several weeks, like what does it look like to, to be yearning for a king? Yearning for the king who's coming. Uh, but today, I wanna talk about a king, the king in the waves. Because Holy Cross, uh, we're coming up on a year of a lot of change in our congregation, aren't we? And if I look out at most of y'all, I don't know everybody's story, but I know a lot of y'all's stories. And I know this has been a year, hasn't it? Like not just for our church as a body, but for a lot of y'all. We've gone through a lot together. And I don't know about you, but um, if you're tired, it makes sense. It makes sense. If you feel like you've just been hit by wave after wave, that makes sense, right? And so maybe, uh, maybe you're asking yourself at this point, well, why? If Jesus is at the helm of my life and of this church and so forth, why does he steer us into storms? Why does he let us go through these seasons where we feel like the waves are over our heads and we don't know what to do, right? So that's what I want to do with this sermon. I want to just take a bit because it looks like we're heading into a harbor. It looks like, you know, there will be reprieve and rest for us, at least as a church body. So I want to just take a bit, step back, think back about, think back on the year and, and ask, well, what sort of lessons can we learn from it, right? Uh, what can we be thinking about what the Lord has done for us in the past year? And we're going to do that from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Because here's the thing. For all that the Lord has brought us through in the past year, I think it's meant to make us worship. It's meant to draw us closer to him. And I think we're going to see that in today's passage. So, if you're able and willing, would you stand out of respect as we read the word of God from Matthew chapter 14. Verses 22 through 33. Immediately he, that is Jesus, made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, 
they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, and they cried out with fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Then Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had gotten into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Friends, it's the true word of the living God, and he gives it to you because he loves you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God who is with your people. Even as we come up on Advent, we celebrate Emmanuel, the God who chose to be with his people. We ran from you, and you said, that's not happening. I choose to be with my people. We thank you for that. We thank you that you chose to be with us through the storms of life. You continue to choose to be with us through the storms of life. And we love you for that. And now, Father, as we take this time to reflect on your word, I pray that you would send your spirit to move, that you would touch each of us where we need to be touched, that you would convict us, challenge us, encourage us, break down our idols, and focus us on our king. And Lord, we pray this in your name because you are worth it. Amen. Go ahead, grab a seat. All right, so there are two major parts to our passage, uh, and so I'm gonna divide them into two points uh, and and delve into what does this say about us, what does this say about our king, okay? So here are the two points. Uh, The king who sends and the king who calls. So let's talk a bit about the king who sends. You guys realize Jesus sends his loyal, devoted, loving followers into a windstorm? In fact, uh, if you look at it, uh, the, the word that is translated there, he made his disciples, he, he actually forces his disciples into a boat. That word that we translate there, made, is just about every other time in the New Testament translated forced. So I thought about making the first point of this sermon, the king who forces, but I didn't think that'd fly well. So He compelled the disciples that he loved into a boat. And he sent them out into what would shape up to be an exhausting, fear-filled night. And he didn't waste any time doing it, right? Like the very first word is immediately, all right? And get this, like he did this on the heels of an extraordinary miracle. He, if you, if you look ahead to what we had just come before in chapter 14, Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 men, so that's probably about 10,000 people total. And as far as the disciples were concerned, this would have been like the pinnacle of Jesus' ministry, right? Because so far in Matthew, let me draw a big kind of context of where we are. Uh, So far in Matthew, Jesus has created a stir by saying the kingdom of God is at hand, which anyone in Jesus' day would have interpreted to mean like, Hey, the, the restoration of Israel's nationhood, that self-governance that we've been longing for for 400, 500 years, that's on the horizon. It's coming, right? And then Jesus has shown that he's not only uh, willing to preach what sounds like a revolutionary me- message, he's also 
willing to challenge what at that time was a corrupt and bankrupt uh, religious system, calling out the religious leaders. And in addition to that, he's demonstrated miraculous power to heal. And now on top of all of this, he, he shows that he can feed thousands with practically nothing. All right. If you're, if you're a follow, follower of Jesus at that time, wouldn't you think like, that makes for an unstoppable king right there, right? Here's a man who can, who, who has the attention of multitudes, right? He can raise and feed and heal an army like that. Isn't it time to, you know, send the Romans packing? Take our Roman overlords and their sniveling sidekicks and drive them back into the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, that's, uh, that's what another writer, uh, a man named John, says that the crowd was about to do in John chapter 6. They were fed, and now they had a mind to act. They were going to make Jesus king on the spot. So imagine how Jesus' disciples must have felt about what people, what they might have heard mur- uh, murmured and muttered among the crowds after the feeding of the 5,000. All right. This is it. Jesus has been saying the kingdom is at hand. This mission is on, baby. We are going to uh, take these, these people are ready. Do you hear the people sing? Let's, let's start this revolution. Let's keep on this momentum. Let's make Jesus king, drive out the Romans, and guess what? We'll get to be his cabinet. We who are his 12 devoted followers. And so what do you find Jesus doing here? Right after everyone's feeling fed and, and, and feisty and ready to like go for a fight. Well, he's taking his would-be cabinet, he's shoving them into a boat, sending them off into the waters, and then busy dispelling the very crowd that could have been his ticket to the throne, right? Hey, can you see now why Jesus might have had to force his disciples into a boat? The king was blowing up their mission. The king was hijacking their plans, right? He was messing everything up. Here's a question. Do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like to have a wonderful plan for the future, a future that would involve the Lord getting a lot of glory and a lot of honor? And and guess what? I, I would benefit on the side too, right? And you can't see any reason why God wouldn't want such and such to happen. Um, this would be great for him. And it'd be great for me, right? And then the Lord doesn't, only not cooperate with your mission, he blows it up. He blows it up. I've had that this year. I feel like a lot of us have had that, right? I think a year and a half ago, a lot of us would have had very different set of like mission ops and what we expected for where we'd be today, right? And then the king forced us into a boat that we weren't planning to board and he sent us off into a windstorm that we weren't expecting. Just like the king sent his disciples into a windstorm, right? Hey, uh, it's possible that that when Jesus told them all to get in the boat, the disciples had no clue that the windstorm was coming because the Sea of Galilee is known for these sudden uh, just windstorms that happen kind of like out of the blue, right? However, Jesus' disciples had four experienced fishermen on them who had spent all their lives on the Sea of Galilee. They knew the ins and outs of 
of uh, the Sea of Galilee, they're old salts. And so it's possible that Jesus had to force them onto the boat because they were looking at the conditions around them and saying, not on Jesus. In this weather, look, Jesus, we've had experience with you and your funny ideas about water and fish and uh, we're not doing it. We're not sailing in that thing. Not right now. But Jesus forces them onto a boat. See, guys, I want you to put yourselves in their shoes. When we come to them in verse 22, they just had a long, exhausting day. They're tired, right? And then we read in verse 25 that Jesus comes to his disciples in the fourth watch, walking on the water. Maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but the fourth watch was between three to 6 a.m. in the morning. These people had been laboring out there on the, on the sea for at least nine hours. After a long day, can you imagine some of the thoughts that they were having about Jesus when they weren't too tired, too scared to think at all, right? Because here's the thing. Not only had the king sent them into a windstorm, he also sent them into a windstorm alone. See, this wasn't like the time in Matthew 8, just a few chapters earlier, where Jesus had led his followers into another storm, but this time was in the boat with them. This time around, they were on their own. They were alone. They were tired. They were scared. If you want to, you can uh, read the passage and just count how many times the word fear and its cognates show up in this passage here. They're scared. And they're alone. And honestly, it can be kind of hard not to laugh when, uh, when they see Jesus walking on the water and like, it's a ghost! But, but in all honesty, right, between us two, what would you have done? You see something you don't expect. It, it looks like there's a person walking on the water. What would you think? How would you respond to that? And so the, the disciples uh, felt alone and they were afraid that they weren't going to be left alone by the wrong kind of company, right? So here's the question. All that that we've dug into. Why? Why? Why would the king do that? Why would the king send his loyal followers into a windstorm? Why would the king blow up his disciples' missions? Why would he send them into a windstorm, send them alone? Well, because the king was using blown up missions. He was using windstorms. He was using waves. Yes, to show his disciples, uh, to, to mold and shape them. But even more importantly, he was doing this to show them who he really is, right? He is the wave walker, the king. All right, so uh, let's talk about wave walking. What does wave walking have to do with blown up missions, right? What, why was Jesus, uh, what was he showing them? By upending their mission and showing them he could walk, not just like take an evening stroll by the sea, but actually on the sea. Well, hey, I imagine, I imagine the disciples thought they knew the king's mission. Don't you think? They, they probably thought they knew what the king wanted and how to achieve that mission. And to achieve that mission, they needed manpower, right? To overthrow the chaos that they saw in their nation, in their, in their context, right? They needed an army. And the king blew up their mission to show that, to get them off their mission and onto his mission. To show them that he didn't need manpower. He was everything. He had all the power necessary. 
Um, do you realize like when Jesus walks on the waves, he's, he's not just saying, hey, fellas, look what I can do, right? He's making a statement. So what's the statement that he's making? Well, in the religious and poetic language, uh, uh, language of the ancient Near Eastern cultures where, where the Bible was written, right? The sea represented chaos. It was brutal, untamed, unpredictable chaos out of which the well-ordered, well-formed earth was formed. It was the chaos that threatened to overtake the earth again. And so what do you get? What do you get when you get a wave walker? You get God. When you get one who can walk across chaos, one who chaos cannot touch, you get God. In fact, that's what Jesus says here when he says, take heart, it is I. You get the I am. That, that. When he says, it is I, He's using the covenant name of God. I am. I am the one who ordered creation out of chaos and who keeps chaos at bay. See, a wave-walking king doesn't need a mission plan dependent on manpower, right? Because he has all power. He is the king, the chaos controller, the wave-walker And so the king used a windstorm to blow his disciples' mission away, to get them on his mission, to show them his power. Hey, so here's a question. Um, Where in your life currently, just to check in, where in your life currently are you dependent on manpower? Where are you leaning heavily on yourself, other people, right? And where in your life is your mission kind of coming at odds with God's mission. Just reflect on that, okay? And then, Holy Cross, uh, can you see how this might apply to us, right? 18 months ago, I think, uh, for many of us, maybe not all of us, but for many of us, I think our vision for our church was dependent, in some sense, like on manpower, right? If we're honest, on one man's power in particular. I'm gonna use the R word. Just heads up. Rick, Rick. See, like many of us couldn't have imagined a Holy Cross without Rick, right? And and our understanding of the king's mission for us uh, was in large part built around him and and his preaching and his counseling and his leadership. And y'all, the Lord blessed us through Rick. He used Rick to feed us with the king's loaves and the king's fish. Right? And then what did he do? He put us all into a boat and shoved us off into the ocean and we didn't like it. At least a lot of us didn't, right? We didn't like it. He forced us into a boat. But here's why. I think to show us that his mission doesn't depend on manpower, but on his power, the king's power. And that his mission is what matters. It is what is most preeminent. I think, I think he did it, honestly, to, to drive home the truth that Holy Cross was, is, and must continue to be about our wave-walking king, right? And I think, I think he's done, I think over the last year, he's shown that in spades. I think he really has. Hey, uh, blown up missions are painful enough, right? So why couldn't he just blow up their mission but not send them on the windstorm? 
So let's talk about the windstorm, right? Why send us into windstorms that exhaust us and terrify us? Because friends, he wants us to experience, like really, truly experience his presence, right? His presence with us. Look, if you were to translate very woodenly, verse 27, where Jesus comes to uh, the disciples, he says these words. Well, even, even before we get there, right? Okay, I'm gonna... These guys are experienced sailors. They probably, looking at the conditions and, and sailing off into the night, they probably wouldn't be like, hey, let's cut straight across the Sea of Galilee. They probably would have kept fairly close to, to the shore line. So the fact that they're stuck in the middle of the sea means the wind had blown them way off course. Now, the Sea of Galilee is about 65 square miles long, right? So they're out there in the middle of nowhere, putting their backs into it, exhausted, on the horizon comes their king. He knows exactly where they're at. He comes for them through the waves. I see you. In fact, one text in the, I uh, uh, can't remember which gospel it is, it says Jesus sees his disciples struggling. And he says, I'm going for them. Nothing can keep me away. So he comes to give him presence. But then verse 27, like if you translate it very woodenly, it's like, Courage, I am, fear not. Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. Let's, let's uh, break each of these little phrases down and see what our king has to say for us, right? Because Jesus was in the habit of saying these things regularly to people. The first, take heart, it's actually a single word. It's only used seven times in the New Testament and in all of them but one. It's Jesus using that word to people who really needed to hear courage. Courage, child. Courage, I'm here. I will make this right. And then Jesus says, it is I. And we've already talked about how that's the, that's the covenant name. I am, right? And every time that Jesus uses those words, I am, he's reminding people, I'm the God of the burning bush. I'm the covenant Lord. So it is a statement of divinity. And then finally, do not fear. You realize in the, in the Gospels, this phrase shows up 17 times. And of the 17 times, 11 of them are used by Jesus. And each time, he's not saying, stop being afraid, in a chastising way. It's, very, it's a comforting thing. Hey, it's okay. Don't be afraid. So what's the picture that you get? Here comes the king. He's seen his people struggling in the waves, in the ocean. He comes for them. And the first thing immediately out of his mouth is they're screaming in terror. Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. What's the picture you get of him? It's a picture of a Lord who's quick to comfort his people, right? A Lord who fears, feels our plight, who understands our fear, who comes to us when we're rocked by wave after wave of sorrow and, and, and anxiety and fear and exhaustion. It's the Lord who comes to us and says, hey, it's okay. I'm here. I'm here, I've got this, and you don't need to be afraid. Can I just say something? We just, we heard how often Jesus used those phrases in the New Testament. Um, the disciples were really used to hearing Jesus say these things. Imagine how different they sounded now because of where they found themselves. 
how different those comforting words from the Savior, how they might have sunk into their hearts differently because of being in the storm. Can I ask you a question? Um, Which would you rather? Would you rather have calm seas and not experience the presence of God or tumultuous seas and experience his presence? And let's be honest, most of us would say I'd rather have calm seas. Really, like let's not, let's not brush it up. If I could just have peace in my life, I would like that, wouldn't I? But y'all, here, here's why Jesus leads us through the storms. Um, and maybe, maybe if you could make that trade, maybe you would. I would take calm seas without the Lord. But I can guarantee you there'd be a different kind of storm that would happen. Because that peace wouldn't be peace. You know why? Because we're made for presence, right? We're made for the Lord's presence. And very often, you and I, we just get fooled. We, we tend to think, well, if everything's going well in my life, then I'm okay. And it isn't until the Lord sends a windstorm and kind of blows our ship way off course that we realize, I gotta have presence. The Lord wants that. He wants that for you, his people. That's been his goal from the very beginning since we walked away from him relationship because that is the only thing that will satisfy you satisfy God's people so isn't it actually a blessing that the king forces us into a boat brings us to the end of ourselves and our plans and 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 shows us that when he sends us a windstorm he never leaves us alone but he walks on the waves to bring us his presence and his comfort holy cross I think I think we've experienced that Right? I think in the past year, we've experienced his presence. I think, y'all, I think we're closer to Jesus because of a lot of the stuff that we've had to walk through. And maybe you're in the thick of it right now. I know a lot of you are. And maybe you feel like, I don't feel closer to Jesus. But he is closer to you. It may take a while. Like, I don't imagine the disciples' hearts stopped beating that quickly as soon as Jesus showed up and said, hey, don't be afraid. Like they still got adrenaline coursing through their veins, all that sort of stuff. You might be in that situation. The king is there though. He's with you in your storm. He's come for you. He wants you to have his presence. So I think that's where we've been in the past year. I think he wants us closer to him. All right, so now we're gonna move on to the second point and unless you're like, ah, my goodness, this is gonna be a long sermon. Second point's a lot shorter, okay? All right, so that was the king who sends or forces Now let's talk about the king who calls. Hey, do you know what it's like to step out in faith believing that uh, you're following Jesus' call? And then you find yourselves over your head and and sinking. You know what that's like? Everything giving away around you and you're you're afraid that you're at risk of losing everything and you're a little confused because you thought, Lord, I thought you wanted this. I thought you wanted this. I thought you led. Hey, Peter does. right, so let's learn a little bit from him. And let's ask the question, right? Like, why would Jesus put poor Peter through this experience? Well, I think there are three things. And and the first thing I think is important to note. First, note that it was Peter's bright idea to go out there on the water, right? He saw Jesus come, he's like, I'm gonna do that. It wasn't Jesus's. Jesus let him. But listen, here's the point. Jesus won't always stop you from a crazy idea that causes you to experience sinking, right? He will walk with you through it 
like he did with Peter. But, but friends, I think this is important to say. Um, when you do start sinking, are you blaming your crazy on Jesus? That tends to happen, right? Like we, we get frustrated because things aren't going the way I want and so we start blaming anybody and everybody but the person that needs to be blamed. So we blame Jesus, we blame his church, we, we blame our small group, anybody, right? We blame the R word. Yeah. So here's the check-in question. Just briefly, think about it. Are you blaming Jesus for your crazy? Or are you turning to him and saying, Lord, I need you in this storm. Hold on to me. We'll get to that in a bit. All right, so that, that's the first thing. Second thing that I think Jesus was teaching Peter, I think Jesus was knocking another hole in the hull of Peter's pride, right? Because that ship needed to sink. Because often when you read about Peter, he comes across fairly arrogantly, right, in the Gospels. Uh, so what do you think motivated him to make that kind of crazy re- request in the first place? I mean, I don't know. We can get, we'll, we'll meet him one day and we can ask him. But I think it probably goes a little bit more like this. Uh, hey, Jesus, let's you and me show these other schmucks how it's done. Right? And instead, the other schmucks got to see Peter screaming and flailing and yelling for his savior, which was something both he and they needed to see, right? So here's the question, right? If you find yourself sinking, um, how's your pride? How are you doing with pride lately? Because it could be the Lord wants to take your eyes off yourself and fix them on him again, okay? Right, third and finally, uh, having reached his goal, I think Peter forgot the king. Because, you know, I think maybe you all have heard uh, the story is often seems to be told that like Peter started off well, he got off on the, uh, the boat, started walking on the water, and then he looks around as he's like midway to Jesus. He's like, what am I doing? And then he starts to sink. Uh, but, and that, that's possible, that's a, that's a possible reading. Uh, but if you read verses 29 to 31 again, I think, I mean, it says, Peter came to Jesus. I mean, to me, that sounds like he arrived. Sounds like he made it all the way there, uh, and then he started looking around, and then he started to sink, which, by the way, also, I think, explains how Jesus was close enough to just, like, grab Peter, because he was right there. Um, But it was only after he reached Jesus that he realized he'd followed Jesus into an impossible situation, right? And that's when he started to panic, He started sinking because he forgot the one who was standing right beside him. All right, Holy Cross, let's bring this home, right? We've walked with Jesus through the waves this year. And we've stepped out in faith believing Jesus is calling us toward a building, right? And we've stepped out in faith believing Jesus is calling us toward Jake. So here's the take home. Once Jake gets here, and once we have a new building, once we've arrived in all these senses, are we going to take our eyes off of Jesus? Right? Once things seem to have settled down, are we going to take our eyes off of Jesus and then let fear flood us? Because that's what happens when you take your eyes off Jesus and you feel the impossible. What are we doing? Right? Will we forget our king, the one that we've had our eyes on so far, the one who has stood before us in the waves and will continue to stand with us? Here's the thing if we do that, then like Peter, we will sink. But I don't think that's going to happen. Right? But the encouragement for us in all of this is, guys, 
don't, don't let's fixate on the winds around us. Let's fixate on the king and keep the eyes there the whole time. Okay. Uh, hey, maybe you feel personally like, well, it's already too late for me. The panic's hit. I feel like I'm sinking. I'm way in over my head. I got nothing, you know. You want some good news? Because there's not just sinking in this passage. There's saving, too. Let's talk a little bit about saving. See, when everything came crashing down around Peter, he cried out to Jesus and he prayed the only sinner's prayer that you'll find in all of scripture right here. Lord, save me. Lord, save me, right? And how do you feel about Jesus' response in verse 31? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Hey, can I be honest? Like, the way I'm wired, I think I hear those words and I hear them dripping with disappointment and disapproval, right? It's like, it's like Peter had made it all that way and then had like almost, like he's terrified because he almost lost his life and Jesus is like, well, you didn't pass muster. He kicks him while he's down. Is that, is that what's going on here? I think a lot of us may be wired to, to read it that way though, which if that's you, let me just encourage you. What does that say about your heart? What does that say about how you view the Lord, right? So let's dig into this a little bit. Um, we're gonna start with the phrase, you of little faith. It's actually one, one Greek word, uh, which, you know, if you were to translate it super woodenly, sounds like this, little faith or small faith, right? Just small faith. And here's the funny thing, like, it actually, th- this word doesn't show up outside of Christian usage. And the only times you read about it in the New Testament, Jesus is the one who's using this word five times. So it kind of makes me wonder if Jesus made it up, you know? Maybe this is, because every time he uses this word, it is meant to like, it seems like he's comforting the anxious. Like he has, uh, okay, here's the thing we need to know. Jesus has hard words to say about people who have no faith. He calls them out for it. He says, you're unbelieving. But for his people, for the ones who, who are struggling, people who are just trying to hold on. His, his fearful followers who are still learning to trust him in the wave. I think he has a tender nickname. My little trustling. My little small faith one. Just like a, like a dad who might be a major league baseball hitter with huge arms might call his, his kid small fry. Because though the kid can hit an occasional like home run, you're still not to dad's level yet. You're getting there. Small fry. Little trustling. So what about, why did you doubt? Well, honestly, y'all, like Peter, or Jesus is calling Peter out. But not for absence of trust, but for wavering. Peter had faith. Just, he wavered, he waffled. Remember the context, right? Jesus is near, and he's holding on to Peter. He just pulled him out of the water. And in that context, he says, my little trustling, I'm here. I've got you. There's no need to waver in in your trust of me. See, I've never given you any reason to doubt that I'd take care of you, and here in these waves, I'm not about to. Don't waver. I've got you. All right, so what about you? All right, when, when your footing gives way, and you feel in over your heads, and everything comes crashing in, um, 
It's hard to take a moment and like learn a life lesson from that because we're just trying to survive. But here's the life lesson, right? Where do you turn? When that happens, what is it that you turn to? Because that is a good indicator of what you're putting your faith and your trust in. And so if you're not a Christian today, um, here's my encouragement for you. If you find yourself caught in a windstorm and, and you feel like the boat is miles out there and there's no way for you to get it and things are coming in over your head, here's my encouragement for you. Hey, um, don't try to tread water. Don't try to handle this on your own because you're not meant to. You, you can't. You need a wave walker. You need a rescuing savior. You need, you need a God who moves toward the drowning. You need a God who gave up his own life to rescue the drowning. So can I encourage you, if you don't know what to pray, pray this. Pray what Peter prayed. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. I, I don't know who I am, how I'm going to get through this. I can't handle this on my own. I'm done treading water. Lord, save me. And I promise you this. The king will. He always moves toward those who cry out to him and say, save me. Hey, if you are a Christian today, um, here's my encouragement for us. Do you realize like trusting the king in the waves is not something you did way back when? It's something you got to grow in. It's something you got to practice. This is something that life, as you walk with the king, is all about. You gotta keep growing, learning uh, how to trust him every single day, right? So here's my question. Do you trust King Jesus? Do you trust him when he blows up the mission that you had dreamed about? Do you trust him when he forces you into a boat you weren't planning on getting in and sends you out into a windstorm? Do you trust him when he doesn't seem to be with you? Do you trust him when your crazy has landed you in an impossible situation and it exposes your pride and, and exposes how you've taken your eyes off of him? Do you trust him to stretch out his hand to save you? Not just once, but again, and again, and again, and again. Because that's what he does, right? That's what our king does. He saves his people again, and again, and again. You may be in the thick of it right now. Do you trust him to hold on to you? Hey, I bet you on that walk back to the boat, I bet you Peter clung pretty close to Jesus, don't you? <laughs> uh, that's the point, isn't it? Jesus wants us close. Holy Cross. Jesus wants you close. He's walked us through the last year to keep us close. He wants you close right where you're at right now. And here's the thing, when we're that close to him and we've seen how he comes for us in the waves, you can't help but join the disciples, like it's mentioned here in the last, last section of our passage. You can't help but join the disciples in worshiping Jesus as the son of God, the wave walker, the king who comes in the waves. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there are a lot of storms, windstorms that are represented in this room. I know you've been walking with a lot of people through it right now. And I thank you that your faithfulness is so great that no one 
escapes your notice. There is not a single person here who is yours, who is going through a storm that you don't know, that you haven't walked out to be with them in the waves. So Jesus, I pray that you'd give us a Peter-like trust and faith, that we'd cry out to you, Lord, save. Um, And Jesus, would you move powerfully? Thanks for how you've moved in our church over the past year. We're excited for what's to come. Jesus, would you keep our eyes fixed on you? We pray this in your name. Amen.